Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. We have another awesome guest today for you guys. Her name is Georgie Fear. She is a dietitian and the author of Lean Habits. Say hello. Hi. Pleased to uh, be here and nice to meet your guests and see you again, Rafal. Perfect. So to start us off, can you just tell us who you are, what you do, and kind of go from there? Yeah. Uh, So my name is Georgie Fear. As you said, I'm a registered dietitian and a CSSD, which is an acronym nobody knows. That means (laughs) I have a board uh, certification in sports nutrition. Um, Let's see, what do I do? I do nutrition coaching. That's that's my gig. And I do it uh, all online, which is kind of a unique niche. I I, like most people, I started out working with people individually. Um, I worked in hospitals doing nutrition and I've worked in gyms and worked in a bariatric surgery clinic so various you know medical as well as kind of you know non-clinical applications um and I really settled on just working with general population and people that wanted to like you said get fit and improve their health more than people that were sick I just I love I love Joe and Jane average (laughs) (laughs) and yeah, I'm, I'm super uh, interested in why people eat what they eat. So I definitely have a high psychological bent to my, um, you know, kind of focus on it. And I, I don't do anything alone. I, um, so I, I co-own One by One Nutrition together with my husband, Roland. And we also have a partner, Josh Hillis. And, and um, so the three of us are kind of you know, trying to change the industry to make nutrition coaching more effective, more kind, uh, and you know more accessible to people that have like everybody that's failed diets. We want them. We we want them to succeed because we know it's possible. So, and we have some great coaches that work for us. So yeah, so we're just a, a little little army on the internet coaching people. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so the next thing I was going to ask you is kind of diving into your book, and I love your book by the way. Like the moment <sighs> I got it, I think I read it within a day because it's just one thing after another. It's found it interesting and Thank I kinda, you. <laughs> no problem uh so I really liked how you had all these habits list listed down from like one to 16 I believe but the first four like I think you call them your core habits why are those the core habits and not like anything else the uh well as we all know there's there's so many moving parts to having what we would call, you know, quote, good nutrition or a diet and lifestyle that are going to get you the body you want. It's not, it's not one thing. It's not a single factor ever. So the complexity of it can, can be most people's downfall. You know, they try and there's so much information out there and they figure, oh, I need to eat more protein and less candy. And I should watch the beer, but drink more water. And I need to get more sleep. And nobody knows where to prioritize any of this. And there's no like, you know, life project manager that comes in and is like, this is the most important thing to do first. Let's, let's start there. So that's kind of, um, you know, why I feel that a structure is needed. And if you do the big stuff first, you're less likely to spin your wheels than if you start trying to fix all the details, but then you have this like big, you know, rock that's holding you back. So, so the core four uh, habits in the book are to eat three or four times a day and not snack between meals or eat lots of mini meals. Um, and that's one that I'm sure we'll come back to because that's generally the most surprising one for people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one is to feel hungry for 30 to 60 minutes before you eat. Again, this is a fat loss specific kind of uh, specification on that one. And we, we do modify it for people that want to build muscle or let's say they're pregnant. Um, 
and weight loss is not the prime goal. But for most people, it is fat loss. And 30 to 60 minutes of hunger before you eat each time is a nice, simple way to get into uh, a sustainable calorie deficit without drastically underfeeding yourself. Yeah. Um, a third one of the core four is uh, what we call eating just enough. And that's essentially stopping when you're satisfied and have had you know, just enough food so that you're going to get to your next meal, feeling that 30 to 60 minutes of hunger, um, but not stuffing yourself to where you're, where you're uncomfortable or you won't be hungry for your next meal. So, um, that is in my opinion, probably one of the toughest things for most people out of the core four is like really get that eating just enough. And then the fourth one is to eat mostly whole foods. Cause as we all know, even if you practice only eating when you're hungry and you stop when you're satisfied and don't eat until you're stuffed, if your diet consists of, you know, pop tarts and Pepsi, <laughs> then you can still get, it's going to take a lot of calories to get satisfied. So, uh, so just to help the natural mechanisms work in their best way, we want to make sure our diet's mostly unprocessed foods. And most is really important. It's not about hundred percent processed foods, just most of your, most of your plate, uh, a little chocolate and a muffin here and there certainly feds. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so let's kind of go back to the habit number one with the three and four meals, because I think a lot of people now, when they hear that, they're like, oh, I thought I was supposed to eat every three hours, at least six meals a day. So yeah. what's the science behind that and what's the benefit? Sure. And the first thing to say is like when I was uncovering that research, I did not like it <laughs> yeah. because I was eating six times a day and I like eating. And anyone telling me that you need to eat less frequently was like, no, say it ain't so. Um but it turns out that small, frequent meals work really well for getting more calories into somebody that's, um, you know, losing weight to try and promote a higher calorie intake. And that was always a bit of a head scratcher for me as a dietitian because we hear, you know, when you have, you know, patients that are wasting away and you're trying to promote weight gain, you know, promote feeding every few hours because then they won't get too full and they'll get more calories in than if they try and eat three square meals. And I'm like, and then I hear all these fat loss people saying. Well, eat six times a day because you'll eat less. And it's like, this doesn't match somewhere. And so, you know, Roland and I uh, were kind of looking at this question together and there has to be some sort of data on it. So 2012 was like the year of research of this question. And we started to pull out, um, you know, my background in research, I did everything but the dissertation of a PhD. So I'm like five years of school, no PhD, <laughs> lots of term bills, no paper at the end. Um, so I have quite a research background in the, the brain mechanisms that control energy intake. So I started going back through the papers that I had and the, the research sources that I know and, you know, looking like, what does the science say if I put aside my own bias toward wanting to eat often? <laughs> and it actually seems that when um, we eat more substantial meals and therefore have more hours between them, over the course of the day, it ends up resulting in less hunger at the same calorie intake. So if somebody's like, if you have two groups of people and they're controlling total calories in, like we're only giving you people 1800 calories, no matter how much you cream and scry, your own uh, cry and scream, <laughs> you're only getting 1800 calories and you ask them to rate their hunger and fullness cues throughout the day, if you give them to one group in, in 
you know, three meals and the other one, you give them 12 little meals. The group that actually gets fed 12 tiny little meals suffers from more hunger throughout the day because they're not getting completely satisfied. Their hunger never gets turned completely off. And, you know, that's not one, that's a, you know, just my example of several types of studies kind of lumped together. That's not one study. Um, and it, it seems that somewhere around the 400 calorie mark, we're beginning to really get the full benefit from all of our appetite cues. So, um, so yeah, it, t- it takes meals of a certain size and I don't get into macros too much in that quest in that first chapter. Cause now you got to stay focused. Yeah. But part of the reason behind that is because there's, you know, many hormones that lead to satiety and many gut peptides and you, they tend to be triggered by separate macronutrients. So if you want to get all of, you know, this category, you need to get enough protein. And then if you want to get enough of this signaling going, you need to get enough fat. And if you want to get enough of this signaling from insulin and the glucose sensing neurons in your hypothalamus, then you need to get enough carbohydrates. And then there's the walls of your stomach, which they have pressured stretch receptors. And so they want to trigger a certain volume. So if you make meals that are too small, you just can't hit all of those pathways. So it's, does that, does that paint a kind of clear picture or am I just no, no, definitely, babbling definitely. idiot here? <laughs> no, 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 that was really good. Um, I think also it's like if people were used to the whole like five to six meals a day and like their snack is an apple and a handful of almonds and you look down at it and you're like, man, this is kind of depressing. I wish I could eat more. Yeah. And I think it's almost like when they look at that, they're higher chance to like, you know what, I'm going to have some more. And then you have, you know, a surplus of calories and they're like, oh, why am I not losing weight? I know. And it's, it's so frustrating as an individual when you're, cause it takes work. Like, you know, nobody's eating six small meals a day because it's like easy, yeah. right? Like it takes mental focus and restraint to be like, I'm going to manage my meal size. I'm not, you're essentially fighting your biology to not eat a full meal. And every woman that's dieted done that is is very aware. Like I want to eat when I'm like you know wiping the inside of my yogurt container. Like I want more. <laughs> I'm fighting that to get dinner. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to letting yourself be like you know you can actually eat more. And like when you get that satisfied feeling, you're not going to feel like you're in hunger purgatory or where you know you're a little bit crazy because. I think a lot of women, uh, I characterize women because I know them the best, but men are not immune to this by any means. Um, you start to feel like there's, you have a screw loose because you're like finishing one meal and thinking about the next one already. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's like, no, it's not you. That's your biology. And amazing things happen. When I made the kind of gradual, reluctant, tail-dragging uh, transition <laughs> in eating more space between them I was amazed how much the rest of my life opened up because I didn't have food on the brain all the time between meals because when you actually get satisfied your brain goes off to other things you start thinking about like where do I want to travel what do I want to do today uh you know you just you have more of yourself to give to your relationships and your job and your family when you're not like how many minutes until I can you know open that yeah 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 (laughs) Yeah, like for myself, like when I started intermittent fasting, that was a big one because now I didn't have to worry about waking up extra early, getting my breakfast in, and then like starving until three hours after to like chug a shake down. And I'm like, oh, when's lunch going to come? Totally. Yeah. And then the moment I uh, switched over to the whole, I think I was doing 16 and 8, where I had a 16 hour window of fasting and an eight hour window of eating, 
and I'd split it up into three meals. I was like, this is a lot better than always looking at my watch, hoping for my next meal to be already here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So are you still doing uh, intermittent fasting and how are you liking it? Uh, so I remember reading about it probably like now, maybe three or four years ago. And I was like, you know what? I got to give it a try. And I told myself I would probably do it just for a month to see what all the fuss was about. Yeah. And then ever since then, I've never gone back because it was like, this is so much easier. I wake up, have some coffee, go to work and then just worry about lunch. And then it's a bigger meal and I feel awesome, full and don't have to worry about anything else. That's awesome. Have you, um, did you have any goals? Like, were you trying to gain mass or get stronger or lose fat or or do anything there? Or was it simply about like, Oh, this is seemingly an easier way. Um, well it was just more of an experiment. And then, um, I did notice that my weight did not fluctuate as much as it did. And then I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, this is like a bulletproof way of not eating like over your calorie count because to a point, like you only have eight hours to eat. So you can't really gorge yourself that much. Right. Right. Well, some people manage to (laughs) manage to like, it's, it's pretty amazing. Like how much, uh, you know, coconut oil based treats, uh, a paleo eater can eat in a short yeah. period of time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, I hear you. Like, if you have, if you're trying to stick to whole foods, then you know some of your stomach real estate is taken up by vegetables. Then uh, yeah, there's there's a natural kind of regulatory mechanism in there. Definitely, and I think that kind of goes into your next habit of like mastering your hunger. Because I remember when I first started, I think the first two weeks, those mornings were kind of tough. Like stomach growling but eventually it just got easier and easier and then I didn't get hungry until you know 12 o'clock was my first meal and right on the dot I would always get hungry around that time yeah isn't that cool how your body adjusts yeah it's pretty sweet and um I think like for most people when they see like the three or four meals like how how many hours in between would that be like four or five like depending on the person's day I typically say four to six okay um and it depends of course on if you're doing three meals or four meals, yeah. like some people find that three feels best for them. Some people find that four feels best for them. There's no superiority. You know, I think sometimes people think it's a contest of like who can eat the fewest meals. That is not, 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 not the goal. Um, it also tends to, there's some individuality in there in terms of if somebody is like a, like really and truly loves low calorie density foods. Like I love vegetables. Even yeah. as a kid, I loved vegetables. Um, if I fill up on a lot of vegetables, I'm probably going to need four meals just because they're lower calorie density. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if somebody's like, you know, I really appreciate the being able to eat more fat or more calorie dense foods, more red meats, then they may find that it just works out fine for them on three meals because you know their their hunger cues adjust, and when they eat till satisfied, it just works out to be three. So, um, I was going to ask, like, what's kind of your tips or tricks trying to? master the whole like hunger shift when you're say you're going to try doing a three to four meals like what should they be focusing on maybe they're not eating a certain amount of food that's not kind of getting them over to the next hump sure um well a lot of times with everything my recommendation is to take it slow like if you're eating seven times a day go to six like you don't have to jump to three or four. I'm very much like a timid <laughs> one yeah, yeah. small step at a time. I describe myself in the book as the type of person that takes an hour to get into a swimming pool because <laughs> I want to get in like one inch at a time. Um, 
So there's no need to, to just like dive in, especially if somebody's having head games, like I'm afraid of getting hungry or I anticipate getting hungry is going to be really, really unpleasant. And they're feeling upset by that. You know, that's, that's very real. That's something to work with and not push through. So, um, if somebody, it, it all, it matters where somebody's beginning. So let's say somebody's currently, uh, addressing hunger the instant they feel it, or they're preventing hunger by, you know, just eating on the schedule, eating snacks, you know, I never leave the house without three bars in my purse, that type of thing. Then just feeling hunger for a few minutes and just letting it be there is light years different than approaching hunger. Like it's a flesh eating virus yeah. that like must be eliminated the second you find it. So for me personally, and I find for a lot of my clients, it's, it's really just framing hunger differently in your mind um, as something that's healthy. It's a perfectly normal, healthy sensation to feel hunger just the same as it is to get thirsty, feel sleepy, or feel like you have to use the restroom. Just, yeah. com- just completely normal. But uh, to many people, me included, hunger was like this set apart demon danger signal. <laughs> and, you know, I, I come from a background that has been impacted by disordered eating and I think a lot of women that have either been through that or they've just uh, you know, done too many diets and they've had too many bad experiences of being hungry for hour after hour, you start to hate it because you've had too much of it. And it's a bit of a relearning experience to realize, oh, okay, so what was bad was going hungry for hour after hour after hour after hour and my hair falling out and feeling weak. This is different. This is like 30 minutes of feeling a sensation in my stomach. It's, it's safe. It's healthy. It's okay. Um, so kind of just de-alarming yourself. Um, and then with that, once somebody's like, okay, I can feel five minutes of hunger and stay calm, then just it kind of naturally progresses from there. And the most awesome thing that's really surprising to everybody is that the people who hate hunger often start to find that they like hunger, not to the level that they're going to, you know, underfeed themselves or starve themselves, uh, but to the level where they find it's reassuring. Because if you start out and hunger's freaking you out, it's often because it feels like it's like you're at risk or it's not safe. You know, we like the safety and assurance of getting rid of it. But when you start to realize that having your hunger show up like nice and repeatable, like 12 noon, you know, before lunch, you start to feel that hunger, that starts to become a reassuring pattern that clues you in. You're not eating too much. You're eating appropriately. Your body is, you know, you're, you're doing what your body needs to attain its healthiest body weight and rock on. So it starts to feel really good when you get hungry. Yeah. I think a lot of people look at hunger as like a panic mode, but you know, I got to tell people like a good idea is just play detective with your body. Like write down what time you got hungry and kind of see where it leads to. And then the same thing the next day and you kind of kind of find a pattern and it just kind of exploring your body of how it's changing over time. Yeah. That's a great way to do it. Um, and what I like about the, the writing down what time you got hungry and noticing it is when you keep a log like that, you start to get data that you didn't, um, notice when you were just kind of going about your day. And what I mean by that is we tend to not notice the hours we aren't feeling hungry, but we notice the hours that we are feeling hungry. Therefore, it's easy to look back over the day and say, I have been hungry all of the time, or I've been hungry 75% of my waking hours. When you actually write it down, it's like, oh, 
maybe it was only an hour or two here and there. And I didn't really realize that from three or four, I didn't even know, you know, notice any hunger. Definitely. So, yeah. Um, kind of jumping into your next habit of just eating enough. What are your like recommendations for like portion sizes and things like that? It's amazing how different people's needs are, which makes this incredibly, <laughs> incredibly difficult. So the way I, the lowest tech way to describe it is to use the kind of bell-shaped graph that's in the book, which is like the only figure in the book. Um, and basically, if you, if you picture your fullness when you're eating as something like a hill where at the beginning you don't feel that good, and you start to feel better and better and better, and the line goes up as you eat. And then at some point, you feel pretty darn good. And if you keep eating, you start to feel worse because you start to feel overfull and a little bit of pain. And oh, now I want to unbutton my pants. And <laughs> you start to, the line comes back down. You're starting to feel less good. I usually just tell people, can you land on top of the hill? And it's a, it's round. There's a lot of room up there, so you don't have to hit like one specific bite. That's like that is the golden shimmering just enough bite. It's like. let's not stop when you're still hungry and let's not go until you're uncomfortable. Like just aim for that nice wide middle zone. Um, And for a lot of people that's challenging enough because they've been doing so much of the stopping when I'm still hungry because I thought that was how many calories I should have or going until they're over full because the food tastes good. Yeah. So usually we start with kind of just aiming for that green zone as we call it. Um, once somebody's hitting the green zone, there's a few ways to do it. We can look at um, what their measurements are doing. So if somebody is losing fat and they're in the green zone, you, there's no need to get more specific or prescriptive than that. It's just like, hey, guess what? You're nailing it. Awesome. Uh, if somebody does need a bit more guidance in terms of like, what's an appropriate size meal for an adult, uh, I tend to say, let's start with one plate. So if you're eating... You know, if you're getting let's just see how you do with one plate of food. And in terms of ratios, I tend to say if you can get about half your plate being fruits or vegetables and or, and a quarter of your plate being some kind of starch or grain or carbohydrate, and then a quarter of your plate being about a, you know, palm size of protein, you're, you're doing better than most Americans or North Americans are. So um, that's a good place to start. And then, of course, there's adjustments. You know, somebody that's a a 6'4 athlete is going to need to adjust that plate. So, um, so yeah, and then we kind of individualize from there. And, and that's why there's coaching. You know, it's like, I, trust me, I don't make a living selling these books. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm lucky, I could like buy a cup of coffee. Um, but it's, it's the information is what most people need. And then some people just need a little bit of more support to help them stick it out, get through those rough moments and personalize as that example. Yeah, I think it's tough for the average person because you go on like Facebook or Instagram and you constantly see all the marketing on like, you should be doing this diet, you should be doing that diet, you shouldn't be eating this. And you're like, so what the hell am I supposed to eat? True. Yeah, very, very true. It's uh, a lot of people just kind of filter their incoming media because they just get tired of seeing the, yeah. I don't know, the fitspiration and, you know. The shredded guys and girls, yeah. Yeah, like, like <laughs> models in underwear doing curls. And you're like, really? Like, come on. <laughs> just yeah. want a dinner idea. <laughs> and it almost like gets you into like a rabbit hole of like, I need to find that next thing that is going to work for me. And I'm going to lose like 60 pounds in one month. 
Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's one of the toughest things because there's, I have a lot of good news that I feel like we get to share with people, which is like, you don't have to starve yourself. You don't have to live off of celery. Like you can eat treats. Like you can have some chocolate. Like, I have clients that, you know, they find ways to work in ice cream and they have pizza once a week and they have, you know, the foods that they like. The, the beer does not have to go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there's good news that you don't have to be hungry all that much. Like 30 to 60 minutes before you eat each day, you know, could only be 90 minutes of hunger out of the entire 24 hours you're awake. And if that's the weight loss you know, margin, that's like, that's not so bad compared to some of the, the other things out there. But the tough thing is that there's no way to beat around the bush that you're not going to lose 10 pounds a week. It's yeah. just not going to happen. Like for most people, it's more realistic to say like probably one pound a week would be really, really good. And for a lot of people, especially if you don't want to be all that uncomfortable, half a pound a week and think about where that plays out like that's that is a whole different looking you in a year yeah i think the average person has probably done at least a, a handful of those crash diets and then you know if they become my client and i tell them this they're like really that slow like come on <laughs> i know it's tough but um that's kind of like what they have in the back of their head that they're able to lose all that weight but then the moment they go off that crash diet they're gonna just shoot right back up to where they were and maybe even worse Exactly. Yeah. And that's the, that's how the conversation usually goes for me too. You know, we'll say that it seems slow. I point out that, you know, when you did that thing that, that you did a few years ago and you lost all that weight really fast, one, you were a lot more uncomfortable. You weren't having like, look at your, your food log here. Like you're, you're eating some treats and you're, you know, you, you're enjoying not being on a diet. So the fact that you're losing a half pound a week or one pound a week is nothing to sneeze at because you're, you're much happier than you were then. And you gained all that weight back. Like, I don't think you're going to gain this weight back because we've got, well, we've got data on thousands of people by now that says that, you know, people keep weight off when they lose it in this manner. So the slowness is just uh, part of the, part of the package. I just, yeah, I just tell people like, you got to play the game of the marathon and not the sprint because the people sprinting is just a short little distance and you get like that small little satisfaction, but doing that whole marathon of hard work pays off a lot more in the end. True. True. One of the things that we've, uh, kind of transitioned into, um, you know, language wise since the book came out in 2015 was we used to talk about everything as being habits, you know, all of these behaviors are like forming healthy habits, forming healthy habits. And one of the, the, things that we're telling people more lately is that you're building skills because yes, the skills play out in you doing certain behaviors, like eating vegetables at every meal, but the skills also are like, you can't unlearn them. Like once you know how to make vegetables tasty, or once you know how to tell when you've had enough to eat, like that is, that's like a lifelong thing once you have that skill. So, um, people kind of take to it differently when they look at uh, all of this like as a set of nutrition skills that will take a bit of time to learn. But then once you have them, you're so set. Yeah, definitely. I think when people like start any kind of diet or challenge, they look at all the things they can't do and look at them as like restrictions. And then I just, you know, the day before that diet, they're going to binge eat like crazy. 
knowing that they can't do whatever they want to do. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I call that last supper ring. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So how do you um how do you work through that with your clients cuz it sounds like you you hear that as well. <laughs> People are like bracing for you to lay the rules down. Yeah. Well, like um in a few weeks I'm doing a thing called a transformation challenge. I already had one client like, "Oh, I'm going to be grocery shopping tomorrow. Like, what am I not allowed to eat?" And I'm like, no, you're, you're allowed to eat and it's just going to be, you know, like I basically made all different habits for people to focus on every single week. And it's not like, you're not allowed to eat this. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do whatever. It's just small, simple little steps that you can do every single day and not even think about it. And then overall, when you're done the eight weeks, you're going to be going off on your own and you're going to be fine. It was like, you can essentially eat really anything just not in abundance. <laughs> yeah, don't steal it and don't eat it until you paid for it. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, it's just like education. Like, I look at it as almost like karate where, you know, you're at a white belt. You can't do what a black belt can do just yet, but let's learn the skills to get there. And you're never, like you said, you're never going to forget those skills when you get to a black belt because they're just repeated so many freaking times that it's just embedded in your brain. Yeah, yeah. And doesn't it kind of suck, though, to, like, here, you're just a beginner at this. Yeah. And somebody's like, I've been dieting since I was 10. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, like, that's the kind of, uh, it, it's not good and it's not bad because I can see both. Like, on one hand, it's like, doesn't it suck that you've been dieting for 25 years Yeah. and no one's taught you anything? But at the same time, like, don't blame yourself for being a beginner. Nobody taught you how to use your hunger cues or how to make your meals the right size and timing to give you the most satisfaction and the least hunger. So it's not your fault that this hasn't worked out. Like nobody's taught you this stuff. Nobody taught me this stuff. So it it would be great. Like I wish they taught this in schools. Like this is what hunger actually feels like. Yeah. Like right in there with like, this is blue and green. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, like I, in a perfect world, I think, you know, if you got a coaching client and you had, you know, whatever, say a full year program and every week they're supposed to hit homework and they do it. And then after that full year, they're off and ready. But I find like that almost never happens. So my question for you is like, at what point do you, why do clients or just people in general trying to eat healthier fail miserably, like off and on? I'm not sure what you mean. What do you mean? They, uh, fail miserably uh because like say the average person they'll like you know they want to get healthy they're starting to eat better and then out of nowhere there's one week where they're not doing what they're supposed to do the next week they kind of come back and then they kind of fall off the wagon and kind of you know going back and forth of doing the right things and not the right things sure well i think everybody can identify with uh it's easier to think about it as all or nothing yeah like it's much easier to be like on or off so like the place we're staying now has all these like really cool lighting fixtures and it's <laughs> there's like it's not just a dimmer switch it's like a dimmer switch with like 10 settings between <laughs> the bright and the off and so wouldn't you know that my husband and I are like no make it one lighter no no, no I want a little darker well, I can't see my food like, make it a little lighter during dinner time yeah. and <laughs> but here are these discussions that we never had at home where the light was on or off and so it's like you know, the same when you're looking at your, your eating, like, am I on the diet or am I off the diet is much simpler conceptually than if you're thinking, well, okay, so I ate some food that was more high fat today, but 
you know what? I can still drink my water. I can still make sure I get a good amount of sleep. I can still uh, make sure I get some vegetables in at dinner, even if I had donuts with lunch. Like doing some of the skills and not just quitting is what keeps people in it for the long term. And that's, that's what makes this doable even if you're going on vacation or you have a, a birthday and you say, you know, I want to eat cake. I want to eat two pieces of cake. I, you know, I, I don't want to be in a calorie deficit that day. Well, fine. You don't have to. Like, there's, you just kind of pick and choose what you want to do on a certain day. And if, if you just keep doing something each day, then you're staying in the game and you keep practicing. And um, it's just about not stopping. Yeah, it's almost interesting where, like, you know, people are doing really good. And then, yeah, they go have a donut. And then from that moment, they're like, well, I already screwed up my whole day. It's just going to keep going this way where you could just tell yourself like, no, 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 like my next meal, it's going to be perfect. It's all good. But it's just interesting to me that, you know, people can cheat with like something small and then their whole day can go downhill from there. Yeah. I think, um, the expectation is huge. Yeah. Like, are you embarking on each day with an expectation that you're going to eat quote perfectly? Or are you looking at the next year of your life? Like you're going to eat perfectly for a year. Like, a donut for a year is just not in the cards for a lot of people. So realistic expectations are like one of the best ways you can arm yourself going in. And, oh, everybody at One by One Nutrition, like every single coach in this company has that. Like we just, we throw that at people like water balloons when they first get in. It's like, you're going to mess up. You're going to overeat when you didn't mean to. You're going to trip and fall and it's okay. We're all tripping and falling and laughing at each other. And we just keep getting up and going. Like you just, yeah, we're going to bobble it. We're beginners, right? Yeah. And that's what like, life is. Really. Yeah, we're going to strike out air ball whiff. Oops. <laughs> like it's no big deal. We just say, oops, you know, keep it lighthearted. And go back to practicing at your next opportunity. You're, you're a beginner. You're allowed to make all the mistakes. That's the great part about being a beginner. No one expects you to be good at this. Yeah. So, yeah, over time, you get better. You have fewer mistakes, and you, you learn something every time that you overeat or, quote, mess up. Now, my next question for you is when you deal with uh, coaching clients and, like, maybe they have signs of, say, like an eating disorder or emotional eating, like, how do you approach them and how do you kind of get them to overcome that struggle? Well, all coaching is driven forward by what the client wants. Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes to us, as many people do, and they say, you know, I have an unhealthy relationship with food for this reason or that reason, and I want to get better, that is a much better place to start with than somebody that comes to you and says... I want to lose 10 pounds and then you start to find out that they have no excess weight to lose yeah. and that they're pro if you're observing in someone an unhealthy relationship with food that, that they are not aware of or they're in denial of, that's very different because that person may not be ready or want to work on it. And that's, no, they're an adult. That's their, their right to, to not work on that at this point. Um, ethically, you know, I, I think I can speak for all, all of us um, in my company that if somebody wants to lose weight, but we feel like it's not in their uh, best interest in terms of their overall well-being, like we're not going to uh, be part of that journey. You know, we, we don't work with figure competitors or people that want to get on a bodybuilding stage just because that's not our thing. 
Mm-hmm. Like there are people that love that, that are pros and experts in that. And that's awesome. They will be a better person to have on your side. If that's what you want to do, than somebody on my team, um, we do encounter a lot of people that deal with emotional eating and we have skills geared specifically toward, um, you know, strengthening yourself and overcoming emotional eating, just like we have skills to help people overcome overeating and calorie excess. So what some of those are would be based around, you have to get some skills around your emotions and finding ways to handle your emotions and respond to your emotions differently. Because if you're, if you have a history of reacting with food, the easiest thing to do is to keep reacting with food. And so to change that, uh, the first level is probably just feeling the different signals that you're getting from not only your body as in hunger, but also from your mind and your, your emotions. So feeling, oh, okay, I'm starting to get frustrated is a step that is uh, not where a lot of people are. Like a lot of people just recognize, I feel bad and I want food now. And it takes a bit of practice to get at, like, okay, you feel bad what are you feeling? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling angry? Are you feeling frustrated? Are you feeling disappointed? Like, let's get a little more skill at identifying those emotions. And then we can look at what are more appropriate actions to take. So for example, if, if somebody's noticing that they're regularly eating chocolate out of disappointment, then we can, you know, first start with doing something differently when you're disappointed and Second, we can deal with the prevalence of disappointment in that person's life by looking at, like, what are your expectations that are so frequently not being met by reality? And that's just, that's awesome. I think that's, like, a lot of our favorite stuff to do is not only help somebody lose the extra weight, but realize that losing the extra weight is going to equip them with skills that make them a happier, more balanced person. It's just overall well-being improves. Um, so I guess that was a little bit of a bird walk, uh, away from disordered eating because emotional eating disorder eating are very, they're related, but encompass a lot of different things. Yeah. If somebody has, um, symptoms of an eating disorder, such as an inability to maintain a minimally healthful body weight, then that's somebody that's going to be best off being seen by, uh, a psychologist, uh, or another mental health professional more so than a dietitian or um, an online dietitian. Like, there's some wonderful things about nutrition coaching remotely. You know, I can see people on their lunch hour. I talk to them while they're at their desk, whatever. But one of the downsides is that I can't put my eyes on a person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when somebody's dealing with an eating disorder, it's really, really important to have a doctor um, and other medical staff looking at you to make sure that you're, you know, to check you out and to see how you are looking in symptoms that you're having physically. So, so for that reason, we, we decline to work with people that have anorexia nervosa. Um, more commonly than that, we get people that have symptoms of disordered eating that aren't really an eating disorder. And they tend to respond really well to regular good nutrition practices, such as eating three meals a day or four meals a day, each of them being... Uh, a meal that you got hungry for and that you stop when you're satisfied because it can break people out of the pattern of 
skipping meals and starving and then overeating and making the cells feel bad and then trying to make up for that by compulsive exercise the next day. So we're kind of just breaking, like turning the dial down on the drama. Like, let's just get some nice, stable, predictable self-care in here and some self-talk skills. Like, how do you treat yourself? Are you kind to yourself? Are you mean to yourself? Are you forgiving and understanding? And do you have self-compassion? And so a lot of those skills uh, really do help people that have elements of disordered eating or just an unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. It almost seems like the more you learn about your clients, you're like, wow, I'm not even a trainer anymore or a coach. I'm like their personal, like, guidance counselor almost sometimes yeah sometimes and some clients don't want that yeah and that's okay like I have I have totally had clients be like you know I'd rather not talk about that (laughs) (laughs) they're like what you know I totally respect that let's go back to dinner planning yeah (laughs) It's, it's um I get so interested in the person and the why and you know what is contributing to them making these choices that you know, I want to know about what's stressing them out and taking up some of their, you know, uh, emotional energy during the day and, you know, what's stressing them out and drawing on them and keeping them up late at night. So, yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's always with love, but you know, I guess a time or two I have gotten a little too curious. People are like, yeah, I, can we just go back to talking about my food? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you really think like on average that stems like from emotional eating? Cause I can't remember who told me this or maybe I read it but like an example was that if say when you were a child and you like fell over and your mother would come over and you know soothe you and she would give you like a cookie to make you feel better and that constant habit of you know you getting hurt mom gives you a treat will like translate into your adult life so anytime you felt sad about yourself you would eat something sweet knowing that it would make you feel better is that like an example or what do you think that's that's exactly the sort of thing that um you know typically happens when we're young is it's prevalent to soothe ourselves with food and that, that's not a bad thing like i don't mean to say that with judgment but if we start to use that at the exclusion of all the other self-soothing things like i'm not even self-soothing but soothing others like you can soothe your child with a hug or, you know, caressing their head or telling them it's going to be okay uh, with words. You can, you know, pick them up. You can sing to them. You can do so many things. So it's not like, oh my God, you have, you ruined your child for life because you gave them a cookie (laughs) to make them stop crying. Like it's certainly not that extent, but when we stop doing all of the other things and food is exclusively used, then it can become, you know, more of a problematic pattern because people lose those other abilities to self-soothe as they get older. And so if we rely exclusively on food for self-soothing, then every lump and bump in life that happens to us, whether it's physical injury or emotional hurt, we start to want that, that food. And it becomes a reinforcing pattern. And there's nothing kind of crazy about that. Like who would not want to feel better when you are feeling distress or pain? Right, like this is a very protective mechanism. It's um, it's just a matter of discovering that there are other ways, and that we can use those as well, so that we don't excessively use food. Because we all know that if you know three times a year you have a horrible day and you decide you want a blizzard, that this is not a bad thing. Like this is not <laughs> this is not an eating problem. It, it starts to become a problem when it's 
impacting your physical health or when you're starting to not feel good about it or it's leading to an unhealthy body weight. And that doesn't happen from three times a year. That happens, you know, maybe if it's three times a week. Yeah. So it's, it's a matter of frequency. I don't mean to say that all emotional eating is bad or all self-soothing is bad. But if you find that it's, if it's producing outcomes you don't like, then that's a, a, a nice time to see if you want to adjust your actions. How much do you think stress is involved with those kind of bad eating habits? It certainly is involved. Yeah. Uh, with regard to how much, for some people, it's massive. You know, stress... Um, so there's the first aspect of just habit forming. So if somebody's formed the habit of that's how they respond to stress, then clearly the more stress they're under, the more trouble they're going to have with the, that excess calorie intake. Yeah. Um, there are some people for whom stress makes them eat less, about 20% of the population. Um, so for them, it's not so much of a, a weight problem per se. But um, stress does also cause physical changes that make us want to eat more sugar and want to eat more high-fat foods and want to eat less nutritious foods. So somebody that's under chronic stress, they, have, you know, they work 12-hour days and then they have a long commute, it's, um, it's more likely that they're going to just eat an overall less nutritious diet because the stress is you know, just kind of driving them to eat more immediate gratification foods. Yeah. Um, and in terms of working through that, because a lot of times we can't just get rid of the stress, it's uh, you know incorporating some activities that help unwind from the stress, because some level of stress is healthy, and the way we approach it, um, just like hunger, can make the difference between whether it's damaging to us or just makes us a bit stronger, and we see things as a you know a challenge. So some level of stress can help us become more resilient, but you also need to have the, the counteracting time of, you know, restorative sleep, some outdoors time, uh, time when you're not working and doing something pleasurable. So those lifestyle elements come in, um, as well as I, I talk with people about not using food when you're under that, like, really peak emotional intensity and high stress, because it's actually more habit-forming to put sugar in your mouth at that time than it would if you were just having it on a relaxed afternoon because chocolate sounded yummy. Yeah. I know I find uh, like a typical like stress reliever that probably most people go to is like one bottle of wine to themselves and then they call it a day. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. yeah. I was just talking with somebody yesterday, uh, one of my clients and you know, like many people, she says like, I just want to come home and I'm so stressed and I want to calm down. Like, the glass of wine is so tempting because it works. Yeah. You know, like sometimes the shower doesn't do it. I'm still just thinking about work stuff when I'm in the shower. Um, and sometimes I'm too tired to exercise and the wine is like, man, there's no effort that needs to go in. I just, it's just right there and it's not expensive and it's easy. And, um, yeah, alcohol definitely becomes a challenge for a lot of people. How do you usually work with that in, in your clients? Um, well, like when I get a good sense of how much they're drinking and I tell them like, I, I think majority of clients know that their drinking habits is probably not the best thing for them. So the moment I find out how much it is, I'm like, can you go with one less glass a week? And they're like, Oh yeah, I guess so. Right. If you give them like something small, I find that it's 
not that big of a deal, they're more inclined to say, yeah, totally, let's do that. Right. And it sounds like such a relief, I bet, compared yeah. to like, they're ready for you to be like, okay, knock off the drinking. Yeah, definitely. I did have one client where, but this was more of his personality. I bet him $100 that he could not stop drinking for a month. Okay. And he took me up on the offer. He didn't drink for a month and he lost like 24 pounds. And I was Holy like, moly. Hey, I was like, dude, this is awesome. He's like, perfect. I can start drinking again. I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not the point. <laughs> and you gave him a hundred dollars to get started with. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but like, I don't know. That's kind of almost beyond, I think my scope, like you can touch on it a little bit, but that's why I always kind of find like, at what point should you maybe refer out? And then when you do refer out to make it in a, you know, an environment where they don't feel like threatened, like you're coming after them that, no, I don't have a habit of this, this, and this. I'm not addicted. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've, uh, I make a lot of referrals, um, for certain things more than others. Um, most of the referrals that I do are actually when I feel like somebody would benefit from seeing a mental health professional to due to depression or anxiety or just struggles with motivation. Like sometimes it comes out that like, I feel like somebody's just having such a hard time taking care of themselves, but it's not really a food issue. It's more of like a, just, you know, they sound like they're dealing with uh, depression, but I can't diagnose that it's out of my scope. So I say, yeah, I think it, it might be worth just seeing if you can get a little bit more help there. Alcohol on the other hand, I have never made a referral. Mm-hmm. And here's why. Because <laughs> I've clearly had alcoholic clients. Because when we start to get at the fact that they may change everything else about their diet, but it's still the alcohol that's preventing them from getting results. Every time I've gotten to that point, which has not been many, I'd say five over the course of years and hundreds of clients, I'd say I've gotten five people down to the point where it was really only the alcohol left between them and the, their results, mm-hmm. they quit because they'd rather keep the alcohol. That's just been my, my experience. Every time they're just not interested in changing the alcohol, they will change everything else, but not the alcohol. Um, that's rare because most people I find are willing to change, not cut out the alcohol, but at least reduce it. Um, and when I get somebody that just won't even reduce it, that's usually not, it's usually not going to go well. Yeah. Um, but all that said, if somebody's eating healthfully and even if they're not losing weight, if there's, you know, it's better to keep the same amount of alcohol, but at least be exercising and getting some vegetables in and getting some protein in, like I'm sure it's better for their health than the fast food and alcohol diet. Yes, definitely. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I've had one person ask me if I thought she had trouble with alcohol because she was having such a hard time reducing it. It was kind of like she would reduce it and then it would creep back up and she'd reduce it and it would creep back up. And she asked me, do I think she's an alcoholic? And I said, no, because people who are as concerned about it um, like she was concerned that she was in denial. And I basically said, no, you're not in denial because look how concerned you are. Like we talk about it every time. Yeah. You're clearly concerned about this. It's clearly in the forefront of your mind and you're working on it consistently. It's just a challenge. And for some people, it's always a bit of a challenge. Just like, you know, peanut butter is always a bit of a challenge. <laughs> oh, I can eat that. Like just by the spoonful. <laughs> Me too. I yeah. do. I eat, uh, I eat peanut butter every day and it's, uh, kind of like a running joke that, uh, you know, if, if I somehow del- 
um, developed a peanut allergy, I might waste away and die because it's, <laughs> it's such a large proportion of my calories. Are you crunchy person or smooth? I prefer the smooth, but I like the natural ones that have a bit of a grain to them. Yeah. So it's not, um, completely, but I will, I will go either way in terms of the texture as long as it's salted. Yes, definitely. If there's no salt in the peanut butter, I am getting the salt shaker and salting it. <laughs> it's a crime. It's a crime. To yeah. not salt it. Um, so I think that's all the questions I got for you. But can you? How did I do? Did I pass? Yeah, you did with flying colors. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, can you just tell everybody what kind of like your next project is, where they can find you on the internet, on social media, and stuff like that? You bet. <laughs> um, so. <laughs> this is the first podcast that I've done since my website got hacked. Oh, so, wow. As you may have known, AskGeorgia.com was like, you know, happily running since yeah. 2008. And oh, it had like over 500 articles and some jerk hacked it and I had to uh, take it down. Um, but I have the database and we will revive it like the Phoenix at some point. Mm-hmm. But uh, at Ask Georgie right now, there's just like this really simple kind of unattractive placeholder. <laughs> So if you want to track me down, I'm still very much alive and posting on Facebook. Uh, there aren't too many people named Georgie Fear. You should be able to find me. Yes. Um, I'm also on Twitter as Georgie Fear RD. And I'm on Instagram. And I think that one's just Georgie Fear. And um, my company page, if you're you know, thinking nutrition counseling sounds like something that is in, or nutrition coaching might be something that could help you, uh, come check us out at onebyonenutrition.com. And everything's spelled out. So it's O-N-E-B-Y-O-N-E, onebyonenutrition.com. And actually, just yesterday, we opened up a few more spots for our group coaching. So we do the one-on-one coaching, um, and then we also do group coaching, which is a more affordable option, and um, people are really digging that. We we just started it last month, and we said, okay, we'll take 100 people, and we sold it out over a weekend. It was like wow, that's awesome. <laughs> a summer weekend, two days, completely sold out the 100 spots and had to turn people away. So we just opened up a few more spots yesterday, and uh, I think there's still a few more open, but uh yeah. So I would love to hear from anybody out there. I love talking about nutrition. So you're not bothering me. Just say hello. Tell me why you're eating what you're eating and uh, we'll chat. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a, t- a ton of fun. And if you get more, more questions, I'm, I'm happy to come on and chat anytime. Perfect. Thank you. Hey everyone. So hopefully you enjoyed the interview with Georgie Fear. If you have any questions or thoughts or concerns, please email me at rafael at empowerhp.ca and again if you can please rate subscribe and review my podcast on itunes that would be great Uh, see you guys next week